Hi, I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, and this is Your Own Podcast, a podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network, providing quick and handy tips for veterinarians on the go. Today we're joined by Dr. Jeff Caswell, pathologist at the OBC with a special interest in bovine respiratory disease, as well as Dr. Joanne Hewson, internal medicine specialist at the Department of Clinical Studies at OBC. So today we're going to be talking about postmortem intricacies of bovine respiratory disease. Thanks very much for joining us again. Great to be here. Hi, Melanie. Um, so I guess we'll turn it over to Jeff for a little bit uh, to take over about the discussion of dead animals <laughs> and how we might handle them. So Jeff, go ahead and take it away and about how to how would we um, approach a BRD case on postmortem? Yeah, so I, I don't want to disagree with Joanne, but I guess the the one caveat is that. Uh, like a clinical diagnosis, your interpretation of postmortem findings is dependent on your own expertise and, and experience. So really a lot of this discussion today is, is intended as a refresher of some of the key points in, in the postmortem technique and also for interpreting postmortem lesions because it is that, uh, that judgment or expertise that, that leads to the diagnosis in postmortem cases. So first I'm going to start just by mentioning a few points uh, about the upper respiratory tract, the heart, the pulmonary arteries and the lymph nodes uh, before getting on to the examination of the lungs. So the upper airways I, I think are often overlooked when people do postmortem examinations um, but certainly they can be the site of airway obstruction and have diagnostically specific lesions uh, that we should look for. So some examples would be infectious bovine rhinotracheitis, IBR, uh, calf diphtheria, laryngeal ulcers, and then less common lesions like polyps uh, or cellulitis around the uh, larynx and trachea as a result of, for example, balling gun injuries or other perforations would be examples of uh, upper respiratory lesions. So, so don't overlook that upper respiratory tract and especially the larynx and trachea when we're conducting a postmortem examination. Okay. Yeah, the, the clinical presentation of these would have also been suggestive of a lesion, lesion in the upper respiratory tract to the astute observer. Noise or strider during respira respiration would be more commonly uh, occurring during inspiration, whereas expiratory noise is seen more with disease in the lower respiratory tract of the lungs. So in the live animal, if you'd paid close attention to when noise occurred in each breath, whether it's during inspiration versus during expiration, uh, you can help to localize the lesion within the respiratory tract. And if you'd had such findings, you can certainly uh, use that to help direct your postmortem in deceased animals. So we should also be careful to examine the heart in cases of respiratory distress because heart failure uh, can lead to pulmonary edema that can cause respiratory distress that, that mimics what we see sometimes in, in pneumonia. So. Some of those lesions, I think, are obvious and some will be less obvious, but lesions of endocarditis affecting the heart valves, uh, I think if those are present, they're usually relatively obvious lesions and we should be able to pick up on those. Lesions of histophilus somni myocarditis, again, are obvious, but only if we look for them. So in that disease, which is quite common in feedlot cattle, uh, the lesions very specifically affect the papillary muscle of the left ventricle. So in all postmortems on cattle, we should be slicing that papillary muscle of the left ventricle to look for these abscesses or areas of necrosis uh, within, the, within the heart muscle from histophilus somni infection. And then finally, 
if you're doing postmortem examination on, on cases of, that have respiratory distress, but you're disappointed to find only minor lung lesions, you should think about other things that are going on in the heart that you can't see grossly. And certainly lesions of myocarditis or myocardial necrosis can be impossible to see grossly and yet are clinically very important because they've caused heart failure. So in those cases, if we're not seeing uh, recognizable lung lesions in the face of respiratory distress, we should be submitting heart for histopathology uh, because toxins that affect the myocardium and BVD virus that causes inflammation in the myocardium uh, both can cause heart failure that leads to respiratory distress. Yeah, Jeff, I certainly agree with you that it can be hard to tell uh, cardiac disease apart from respiratory distress at times, uh, respiratory distress originating from pneumonia, sorry. Uh, so looking back at the clinical findings that might have helped you to differentiate those in the living animal uh, would include things like distended jugular veins or abnormalities during heart auscultation, either in the rhythm of the heart or the presence of murmurs or muffling of heart sounds to suggest cardiac disease. But you're right, they can certainly look very similar both clinically and on postmortem if you don't look for those extra clues. It's just paying attention to those little things or making sure you're checking the papillary muscle can really make you look like a rock star and save your clients a lot of money. That's right. It's a simple <laughs> diagnosis and no laboratory testing required. So along that same line, we should examine the pulmonary artery in cases of respiratory distress. So a lot of people, when they're opening up the right side of the heart, will open the ventricle, continue through the pulmonic valve, but then stop there. But I think if you take the extra five or 10 seconds to continue that cut along the pulmonary artery into the lung, uh, you may find emboli within the, within the large pulmonary arteries within the lung. And those, again, are another hidden cause of respiratory distress. They can be overlooked easily if we only look at the lung, uh, and yet they can cause severe respiratory distress. So we see that most commonly as a result of right-sided endocarditis with showering of the lung with a large embolus, uh, or sometimes in, in liver abscesses uh, when they erode into the caudal vena cava or hepatic uh, vein and then shower the lung with an abscess. But sometimes we see it from other causes as well. So we have seen cases of metritis with thrombosis of the uterine artery that eventually embolizes to the lung, uh, cellulitis as a result of soft tissue infections, or jugular thrombophlebitis as a result of uh, contaminated jugular injections. So just as a reminder, what would an emboli look like in the lung? Is it? Yeah, so it would be a a white mass sitting within, filling up the lumen of that pulmonary artery. Okay. So the, the good news is it's easy to see if you take the time to open up the pulmonary artery. And it's different from the postmortem clots because those postmortem clots are red and elastic and quite friable, so you can break them apart uh, quite easily. They have an elastic texture, uh, but the embolus would be white and, and more crumbly in texture. Okay, and then fourthly, we should remember to check out the bronchial and mediastinal lymph nodes. These are often enlarged in infectious causes of pneumonia, uh, which isn't highly diagnostically significant, but it, but it can be useful. But more importantly, in a few diseases, they do contain classic lesions, and the best example would be uh, tuberculosis, where uh, we have these caseating granulomas within the lymph nodes, and in fact, the lesions in the lymph nodes are a lot easier to find than the lesions in the lungs. So looking at lymph nodes is also important. 
So the summary there is don't, don't just focus on the lungs in cases of respiratory distress, uh, but also look at the upper respiratory tract, the heart, the pulmonary arteries, and the lymph nodes because they can uh, have helpful clues as well. Okay, and then as far as um, as far as actually performing the postmortem, and do, would you want to take the lungs out of the chest or leave them in to examine them? Yeah, so I, I think it's quite important to take actually take the lungs out of the chest uh, because we can get unilateral lesions, uh, and and you can miss those or underestimate the extent of the disease if you only look at the at the upside or the right side uh, of the lung. So examples there would be aspiration pneumonia mm -hmm. usually is unilateral or even focal, uh, so you could completely miss that diagnosis if you're only looking at one side of the lung or looking at one lung. But even Mannheimia hemolytica can be relatively asymmetric in its distribution, uh, so you can have severe lesions on one side and less severe lesions on the other side. And the importance there is that, that we're trying to judge the severity of disease and whether that uh, causes the clinical signs and if we're missing the major lesion, then we, then we don't interpret that lesion properly. So secondly, then when opening the trachea, I think you should not stop at the carina, at the tracheal bifurcation, but instead continue that cut uh, down, into the down into the distal bronchi, uh, looking for dictyocollis lungworms. So those lungworms really like to be in the caudal bronchi, and it's there that you'll see those thread-like worms. We have had cases where uh, practitioners have overlooked that diagnosis, we think, because they've only uh, opened up the trachea. Okay. Yeah, I mean, even though dictyocollis is relatively uncommon in cattle, unless they're pasture grazed extensively, it can clinically look very similar to the other causes of interstitial pneumonia in cattle, yet it has an entirely different treatment approach. So I think it's important to identify lungworm when you're doing the postmortem because there's a herd significance to that finding. and, and there's the fact that your treatment and management is going to be so different than it would be for the other causes of BRD. So you don't want to miss it. You're right, Jeff. Okay, and then finally, once we've taken those lungs out and opened up the trachea and the bronchi and examined the external surface of the lung, we want to slice the lungs. Uh, and once we've done that, then we can palpate the lung. It's important to palpate a cut surface because the Pleura in cattle is quite thick and fibrous, and it will get in your way. It's almost like wearing a thick pair of gloves. Uh, so, so palpate a cut surface, and you can get a better sense of the uh, of the true texture of the lung. And I, I do emphasize that it's not like fingertip painting with children that we don't want to just dab at the surface of the lungs, but instead we want to get our fingers and our thumb deep down into the lung to judge the texture of the lobule. Like so you're it, kneading a dough or something. It's like okay. kneading a dough. That's okay. fantastic, Melanie. <laughs> okay. yeah, so we want to use our, our, our fingers as little microscopes to probe down into the depths of the tissue. And it's that deep and purposeful palpation that I think allows you to get a really good sense of the texture of the lung. Often that's not very important, but later on we'll mention interstitial pneumonias, and there it becomes much more important. Okay. So, the, so the summary then is open the trachea all the way down into the caudal bronchi, examine both the left and the right side of the lung, uh, palpate the cut surfaces, and don't just do that superficially, but deep 
purposeful palpation of the lobules of the lung. So I wanted to mention just a couple of uh, non-specific or artifactual changes within the lung. Uh, again, the pleura of the lung of cattle uh, in, the, in the caudal part of the lung is normally thick and opaque. It looks like a fibrous membrane or a thick sheet of plastic, uh, but that's a normal finding in cattle and we shouldn't make anything of that. Um, diffuse congestion is something that confuses veterinary students a lot, so it's a very common post-mortem change. So if you're seeing redness of the lung, redness throughout the lung, uh, you should think about the possibility of heart failure causing pulmonary congestion, but be cautious with that because it's a common post-mortem change as those blood vessels in the lungs dilate after death, uh, so we should be careful not to overinterpret that. And in cases of heart failure, we should also see pulmonary edema, uh, so the lungs will be very heavy when we pick them up uh, and will ooze fluid on a, on a cut section. Uh, agonal hemorrhages are, are something that can be confusing, so typically these will be on the, on the heart, on the epicardium, and on the endocardium, but occasionally we can see these on the lungs as well. So it's confusing because we do use this as a diagnostic clue for sepsis. So in severe bacterial pneumonia or in bacterial infections elsewhere in the body, we can get petechial hemorrhages throughout the carcass, but including on, on the lungs. So it can be a diagnostically significant lesion, but occasionally we see that just as a non-specific finding. So by itself, uh, we don't want to overinterpret that. And then finally, interlobular emphysema is quite a common finding in bovine lungs, and it appears as uh, a linear row of air bubbles within the interlobular septa. Uh, so it gives this appearance of clear spaces, and when we palpate the lung, it has a crackly texture or a crepitus because of these uh, air bubbles within the lung. So this is the result of uh, increased respiratory effort, but by itself it doesn't mean that lung disease is present. We certainly do see it in cases of interstitial lung disease, but also we see this in uh, downer cows that die of acute toxic mastitis or die of milk fever, uh, and, and the emphysema within the lung is a, a secondary development to that. So it doesn't by itself mean that lung disease is the cause of death. So the summary there, um, ignore the, the thickness of the dorsocaudal pleura in bovine lung. Uh, don't be fooled by diffuse reddening of the lung from congestion, which is a common postmortem change. Uh, and think of interlobular emphysema as a relatively common secondary finding in cattle that are in respiratory distress, but look more closely at the lungs to identify an underlying lung disease. So thanks for joining us, Jeff and Joanne. Thanks, Melanie. So we'll, um, we'll be posting all of our tips and all of our links uh, on the podcast site so that if you wanted to check, out, check them out, you can. Um, also, you can join us again next week for our next installment of the podcast. So it'll be a three-part series.